Oh man, I, I thought I was going to get all emotional there and I, and I had to uh, get myself under control. A little side uh, story before the message. Uh, if I'd have known they was going to do the Matt Mayer song, I Need You, I would have uh, maybe slipped out from, for, a, for a moment. I, not because I don't like the song, it's one of my favorite songs on the earth, but uh, four years ago, uh, the greatest man I've ever known had his devotional life. Uh, had this devotional time one morning, and uh, uh, and my father marked in his Bible um, what he was reading that day. He had a blue magic marker, and he was in Acts chapter 1, and he marked just um, a few words. He just marked the words, taken up to heaven, about the ascension of Jesus, but taken up to heaven. And he put his uh, pen down, and my mother didn't know why, but he walked past her and walked out into um, his garden, and he died. And uh, uh, it, it was the most surreal moment. He was healthy, and uh, he was a good South Carolina Baptist, but he was not a South Carolina Baptist that would sit around and uh, find a comfortable pew. In his senior years, he and my mom said, what, what if we helped start a church that was aimed primarily at young people. You know, if the music's too loud, we can wear earplugs, but it's not about us. It's about the next generation. Can you imagine what would happen if, if I said last night, a, a revival may be in the hands of our senior adults, um, but my mom and dad went, and uh, they helped a, a pastor start a church in Florence, South Carolina, where mom is still a part, and my sister is, um, uh, is still one of the worship leaders there. And uh, last I checked, I think they were running seven, eight hundred, nine hundred, something like that. Uh, and uh, Dad oversaw just about all the buildings, and uh, just the greatest man I've ever known. And when he died, uh, I did my father's funeral, and uh, we had vacation scheduled like the next day. We didn't know whether to cancel, but we ended up going. And that Matt Mayer song was either new or just new to me. I don't remember which one. Uh, the version of the old hymn, I need you, you know, Lord, I need you, but it's a new version, and uh, uh, I went out on the first day to just run along the beach, and I had headphones, and I began to sing that song, and um, at one point it says, when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Uh, Jesus, you're my hope, you're my stay, and I fell, literally, I fell on the sand on my knees, and thankfully it was a pretty deserted beach, but anybody that saw me, I don't know what they thought, but it just didn't really matter, uh, and I fell, and I wept, and, and then I got up, and I ran some more, and I fell again, and, and uh, because I didn't know then, and don't really know now how to do life without my dad, and this new season of life, I want him more than ever, in fact, the night before he died, I called him, and I had some, some issues trying to uh, transition a church, the church I was in, and boy, it was tough, and I said, Dad, I don't know how to do this, and he said, son, God's prepared you for these moments. He's, he's uh, shaped you and prepared you, and he's with you every minute, and, and he's going to walk with you through this. And uh, how many people get those for the last words from your dad, you know? Um, but that song is powerful to me. And I was thinking about it. I was thinking, oh, I shouldn't share that story. It's not about revival. It's kind of just a personal story. And the Lord said, what's wrong with you, son? You know? He said, of course it's about revival. He said, uh, people need revival for all kinds of reasons. Some of you are here tonight, and uh, the word revival, remember, just means new life. And some of you are here tonight, and you know the Lord, and you love Him, but you're just a little stale, that's all. Um, you're not throwing your life away in some horrific sin. You're, 
something's just slipped a little and you need revival. But others of you, if something doesn't happen tonight, you're going to throw your marriage away. You're going to throw your family away. You're going to throw the life that God's given you away and it may never be restored unless you experience revival. But you know, some of you, you're just sad. You're just sad. Um, In this new life that God has called us to, my wife and I get to minister to a lot of pastors and their wives, and we just love that. We, we've, we've done it so long, we know. It, it doesn't matter what it is, we know. We've, I've pastored country churches, city churches. I've pastored every size church, and, and, and I almost look into a pastor's eyes and, and, and know a little of what he's dealing with or a lot of what he's, he's, uh, he's dealing with. And a lot of pastors, a lot of staff members, a lot of deacons today are just sad. And when guys get honest and open with me, a lot of them say, you know, I'm just, I'm just sad. I, I'm sad for the state of our nation. I'm sad that my church is not where I'd like to see it. And, um, and a lot of people that sit in pews every Sunday are just sad. Maybe you need revival because you lost the person that you've loved most in all the world. And uh, you think, is that revival? Sure can be. Because unbroken sadness can leave you apart from the joy that God intends you to have. See, revival can come from a lot of directions for a lot of reasons. But the only time it ever comes is when we say, I need you. I need you. I need thee. I need thee. Every hour I need thee. And when I can't stand, I'll fall on you. Lord, I just, I pray tonight. Lord, for um, the story I'm going to share. It's not really a sermon tonight. Lord, I, I don't know of any other, any other thing I ever do where... I don't just open your word and go to a passage you've led me to and preach that passage. I, we're going to read your word tonight, but I'm not really preaching an expository message tonight. But you've given me a freedom from time to time um, to share a story that I've been sharing now, Lord, for um, more than 20 years. And I thank you so much that for whatever strange reason, In your sovereignty, you saw fit to allow me to experience a massive movement of your spirit. Things I'd prayed for, things I'd studied about in history, but things I didn't know if I would ever see. And Lord, I pray tonight for every person in this place. Lord, I I don't pray for this church to be revived. I can't control that. Nobody in this church can control that. In fact, Lord, you really don't revive churches. You revive people. If enough people have new life, it will be unmistakable that this church has been revived. But Lord, like the old evangelist Gypsy Smith said, what you really want to do is you want to draw a circle around each individual tonight and have them stay in that circle until they have new life and then come out of that circle and go pass it on. That's what revival is. And so I pray tonight, Lord, that you would just move, not in a church, but in a heart, in one heart who is sad, in one heart who is so overwhelmed with grief. She needs revival. He needs revival. In one life, Lord, is so broken by sin, doesn't want to be, just doesn't know a way out. And in that one life, so broken by sin, would you bring revival and new hope of broken chains. 
Lord, for the, the one tonight that's just dry. Lord, that faith with you has just become a little routine. And it's never meant to be routine. You didn't create us to have boring days. Restful days, but not boring ones because you're the God of the universe and you're in us. And so, Father, for the one that's just tired of the same old, same old, I pray for revival tonight. Father, I pray in my own heart, I thank you, Lord, for a good day, the day that you've made. I thank you, Lord, that you've allowed me to live it and know you and serve you. But, Lord, around my heart and life tonight, would you draw a circle and revive me too? This is our prayer tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. Revival is a serious topic, and, um, uh, and we're going to tell a, a serious story tonight, but it's not without um, laughter and joy too. Um, when you read the New Testament, and you read the book of Acts, and you read uh, chapter 2 and chapter 4, and you, you, you read about how they had glad hearts. You know what's interesting about that word glad? Uh, it, it's, it's not in Acts 2. It's not the normal word that just kind of means happy. It's the same word used of Jesus when he was in the womb of his mother and leapt with joy. It's a word that means hilarious joy. It's a word of uncontrollable joy. And I want to tell you, revival brings brokenness first, but then it brings joy. And, uh, and I, I want to tell you, I, I just love telling this story because it's just good to laugh together and to know that even in the midst of when God is moving and reviving, um, funny things happen. We were in the midst of the revival I'm going to tell you about. And um, um, we would have services where we, we would just share. We would, people would just share. You know, maybe a student would come back from a trip sharing or our police chief, our fire chief. Oh, we, we had... Just normal people, housewives, homemakers, and, and coaches, and, and students that just for a season became almost like itinerant evangelists because of what the Lord did in our church, and everybody wanted someone to come and tell them, and I couldn't go all these places. So a student would come back, and he would share, and we'd, we, would, we would listen, and we would rejoice, and we'd weep, and we'd, we'd shout, and we'd celebrate, and we'd sing, and we had just remarkable services like that. And one night, we were having one of those sharing services, and um, my wife was uh, sitting with one of her dear friends whose name was, uh, was, was Donna. Not My wife's name is Donna, but this was Donna. And they're sitting together, and uh, we start sharing. And Donna Hogue was her name. She, she said, I just, I just want to rejoice because, as many of you know, they diagnosed me with diabetes. I just went back to the doctor, and I don't have diabetes. It's like the Lord has healed me I, I, or something. I don't even know what's going on. And we love this family. We've been praying for it. It was a miracle. And we're, I, just, I was just started to cry. I was so happy. And the people couldn't hear. She didn't have a microphone. And so people were going, what, what, what? Because they could tell it was a big deal. And I said, y'all, you just need to rejoice with us. My wife and I, you know, we just love the hoax. And Donna just shared. You couldn't hear. She just shared. She thought she had diarrhea and she does not have diarrhea. <laughs> now I said that out loud. And and, and that's what everybody did. They started cracking up, except Donna. She's crawling under the pew. Well, I, I was so emotional. I didn't know why people were laughing. I thought, that's not, what are they laughing at? That's not funny. And I'm looking, my wife could tell I was confused. And she went, you said diarrhea, just like that. And I went, oh, oh, oh no, 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 not, not diarrhea. It was diabetes. You can't go back from that. It's over. Okay. 
And our people were just having a great time with me and just making fun of me at that, at that point. And then it got worse. Because <laughs> we got a microphone to Donna, and she stood up and faced everybody, and she said, I really do want to praise the Lord because it runs in the family. <laughs> And that's about what we did for the rest of the service. We just could not stop laughing the whole rest of the service. So this may, not, this may be a little uncouth thing to say, but here is really good news. We are the people of God, and revival is meant to run in the family, right? I mean, revival is just new life. You think God sees us wake up one morning and says, you know what, today I'm just going to leave you with yesterday. I don't have anything new and fresh for you today. I'm just going to leave you the way you were yesterday. He never, ever, ever wakes up and says that. He never has us. He never has us wake up, and he never says that to us, ever. So revival runs in the family. And you know what? If you want revival tonight, again, I, I, I stopped preaching a long time ago primarily about the revival of a church when the Lord really spoke to me about what happened in Brownwood, Texas, and I realized it wasn't the revival of a church. It was the revival of one, and then another, and then another, and then another, and then another. And pretty soon people were saying, well, my goodness, that church is experiencing a massive revival. But you know what? We had people that never experienced revival. Now, I don't know. You guys that are back there in that corner, this is not about you, okay? But it was that corner, the back corner of our church. We call it the grouchy corner in our church. Because we had a group of people that just sat back there. They were mad all the time. They were mad that the church was different. They were mad that revival came. They were mad that people started coming to church that didn't look like them, didn't act like them, didn't, you know, didn't talk like them. They were just mad that the church wasn't what it used to be. And they missed the whole thing. They just sat there scowling like that for a couple of years. So I can't say God revived the church. I think they were saved and a part of the church. But they missed it. So don't be that person. No one's ever going to want to sit back there again. But, but uh, you know, don't, don't be a part of whatever grouchy corners in any church. Man, we don't have time for that kind of silliness, you know. So let, let the Lord revive you today. Draw a circle around your life. And, and he won't say no. He won't say no. And it is, it is absolutely possible. In fact, I believe it's a promise from God. Every single person can walk out of here revived tonight if you want to. Because he's not stingy. Just draw that circle. Okay? People have asked me, don't you get tired of telling the story? I mean, how many times have you told it? I don't know, hundreds, thousands. Um, I don't always tell it uh, anymore. One thing I don't want to happen is for churches to think what God is, is about is in the business of repeating himself. I'm not sure a revival that, that sweeps across a church today when enough people get revived that, that you go, man, that church is in revival. I'm not positive it's going to look the way that it used to. I, I don't know. I don't, it might break out in the business place. It might break out in the marketplace. It, it, it might break out in schools. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. It may be very, very different. The Lord might say, I, I, I'm not sure I want to I move primarily inside worship centers. I want to move out there where lost people are. I don't know. So I'm not, I'm not at, looking to, for God to repeat what he did. But it's very important that we learn what God has done in history because there are often things that are parallels and things that are commonalities when God moves. But, you know, I never ever get tired of telling the story. I mean, do you think, do you think after the Lord had been risen 10, 20 years and uh, Peter or John or Matthew was, you know, sharing the story, do you think somebody said, don't you get tired of talking about the resurrection of Jesus? Can you imagine? Can you imagine Peter or John saying, are you out of your mind? <laughs> if I shared it for 10,000 years, I'd never get tired 
of sharing about the resurrection of Jesus. Well, revival is the resurrection of Jesus coming alive again in a life and a church. I never, ever get tired of sharing this story because I saw my life passage come to life. I saw it, I saw it take place before my eyes. My life passage is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's really what I wrote the book, The Passion Promise, uh, about. Because I believe what God says here in this verse is that whatever you can imagine, whatever you can pray for, I can do more and I want to do more. So I want to ask you, what are you asking for in your life? What are you asking God to do in this church? Have you asked Him for something so big that if it happened, it might be bigger than you could imagine? I don't know that I've ever asked him anything as big as what he really wants to do. I never asked him, ever once did I say, Lord, would you move in Coggin Avenue Baptist Church, where I was pastor in 1995, would you move here in such a way that one day they would write books about it, that one day people would come from other countries to visit our church out in the middle of nowhere in Texas. I never once prayed that. In fact, one of the reasons that revival may not come is that we get stuck on little prayers. I was praying things I thought were big prayers, like, Lord, please don't let me get fired. <laughs> like, Lord, pl- pl- please, please help our, our committees to stop fighting with each other. Please help people stop fighting over the music. I mean, those are the kind of things I was praying. I thought they were pretty big prayers. I never prayed even close to what God wanted to do in our church. So what are you praying for? Maybe the Lord will revive, will send revival among enough people to actually revive a church when they start praying bigger than they've ever prayed before. It was 1995, and I was in trouble in Coggin Avenue Baptist Church in Brownwood, Texas. Wonderful people, um, but... I was hitting some opposition. I was young. I didn't really know what to do about it. Um, and I um, had some folks that really, I think, would have just assumed me hit the road. And we had gross immorality taking place. Some things that, to this day, I don't talk about much that happened um, from one of our staff members um, who, uh, when we found out what he had done, um, of course, we let him go. And I had leaders in the church who were upset with me because we let a man go who had committed um, gross and possibly forceful sexual immorality. But the word I had from, from some folks was, you know, it's, it's good old boy Texas, Pastor. You've got to give him another chance. And we're going, oh, Lord, we, we are far, far, far from God. And um, one day it had just come to a head for me. And I, uh, I went with my personnel, uh, the search committee chairman who had called me there, a man who I was able to fellowship with just a few weeks ago. Uh, his name was Keith Clark, and I, I sat in his truck, in his pickup truck with him, and I, I, I finally, he dropped me off at my house, and I said, Keith, I'm done. I, I'm just done. I can't do anything with these people. And I got out, and I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this where about one step after you say something royally stupid, God convicts you. I stepped out of the truck, my foot hit the ground, and I heard what I just said. I can't do anything with these people. And I didn't even shut the door. I stopped. 
And I said, Keith, forgive me for that. I'm trying to do something with these people, and that's not even close to what needs to happen here. And if you'll pray for me, I'll stay, and I'll begin to seek God for what he might want to do with these people. I didn't know what to do, so I started talking to some pastor friends in the area, and I found out almost everybody felt the way I felt. I was like, Lord, what, what do we do with our churches? Man, we're all a mess. So we didn't know anything else to do but pray. And that's a good thing to do when you don't know what to do. So we got together, and we weren't even all Baptists. I didn't even know if it was legal to pray with an Episcopal priest, you know. <laughs> I, I was going to call Nashville and find out if I could pray with a charismatic guy. I didn't know, you know. So, but the, these pastors just started coming together, and we, you know, we weren't talking about our doctrinal differences. We were just, we said we love Jesus, but our churches don't seem to, and let's just pray for each other. And we became very close. I mean, it was really weird. We had several Baptists, a born-again Episcopal priest, and a charismatic pastor, and we, we just started praying over each other and saying, God, just do something, just do something, just do something. And God began to work. If you're praying for God to do great things, mighty things in your churches, in these two churches that come together tonight, learn learn to watch for the small tastes that that may for the appetizer that may precede the main course. I think sometimes the Lord wants to see what we do with with the small gifts from Him to see if we're if we're really ready to handle the big stuff. So so keep your eyes open. And if you see Him doing something, join Him right there. I mean, shift your plans. Change your direction. And, and say, Lord, we were going to go here, but it looks like you're doing this. And we're, we're going to step in and follow you. Because I watched a church do it, and I watched the results. We weren't having very many people saved. We were, we were just not in a good place as a church. But I was a law enforcement chaplain in the city of uh, Brownwood, Texas. And uh, I would ride at nights. I love law enforcement. I love all of you who serve in military law enforcement and being a chaplain is one of the greatest privileges I've ever had in my life. And um, I was going out, driving out with an with a officer one night, and um, he said, you know, something really strange is happening at the gang house. We had, a, for a small town, a pretty significant Hispanic gang issue and drugs coming through. And um, he said, I want to show you something. And he drove me by the gang house, and there was nobody there. I mean, it was like literally it was dark, nobody there at this house where they all hung out. I said, well, but this is like Friday night. What's going on? Where, where, where are they? He said, they're, they're at a prayer meeting. And I said, a prayer meeting? He said, yeah. You met this guy, Fernando Hernandez? And I said, no. And he said, well, he was a gang member here, and he moved away, and he, he got saved, and he came back, and apparently he's like reached all these gang members for Jesus. I don't know anything about this. So I, I, long story, but I meet this young man and I find out, man, he doesn't know much anything about anything. He's barely read the Bible, but he did read the part where it, it, it tells us to, that if he saves us, he's going to make us fishers of men, that we ought to go and make disciples of others. He read those parts. Most Baptists either hadn't read it or, for, or forgot it's in there, but he read it and believed it. So he thought, well, I guess what I need to do, I don't know much, but I'll just go back where I, where I was a gang member and I'll just tell them all about Jesus. And that's what he did. And he didn't even have a church helping him. All right? I thought. Then I found out that one of the charismatic churches in town was giving him a little bit of money, which was a problem for me because as I met this young man and, and really grew to quickly love him, I, I thought, we're, we're supposed to help him. I mean, this is a miracle. We're having gang members saved. We're supposed to help him. He, he needs a church backing him, but we would be in partnership with a charismatic church. And I thought, man, I got enough problems right now in my church without bringing this to the church, all right? So I, I didn't know what to do, and I thought, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him come 
to our church. Let our people see them. And maybe that'll let them see this is a work of God. We need to join it. So I told Fernando, I said, listen, would you come to our church? He said, well, I hadn't really done anything like that, but I, if you want to, I will. I said, look, I'm going to reserve a section it's right over here, and, and, and you just come on in with, with, a, with these young people. He said, they've never been in church. And I said, well, you just kind of instruct them on, you know, kind of how to behave. Well, I didn't mean for him to do that publicly, <laughs> but he comes marching them in. He marches them in. He says, you sit here, you sit here, you sit here, you sit here. And everybody's, you know, everybody's watching over this as these Hispanic gang members come in. They, they weren't in Sunday clothes. They were just like they always dressed. And Fernando gets them all in and he goes, sit down, shut up, listen to the guy up there. And he sits down. <laughs> they were better behaved than our deacons, really, throughout the whole service. So, so... Uh, <laughs> So God begins to work, and our, our church ended up voting to, uh, we had to vote on it, but they voted to partner with Fernando and help him. And I thought, hmm, God may be at work. Well, I said, Fernando, we need to baptize these students. You know, they, they, these, these gang members, they, they, they haven't been baptized. And he said, okay. So I met with them, talked to them about baptism, and, uh, and we go to baptize. Now, they, they've barely been in church, much less a Baptist baptistry. All right? So the first kid comes in man, he's a rough looking dude but man he is Jesus is all over this kid and he comes in and you know we do the whole Baptist tradition you know and and I tell him to grab hold of my arm and all that and and uh, and I, I ask him if he's been saved all that yeah buried with Christ baptism and death, raised to walk in a new life and everybody's yeah, politely applauding and then and it's a Baptist church then you walk out well he didn't walk out he didn't want to leave he was excited He's looking all around like this. And I said, you can, you can leave now. He's not listening to me. He started to hop. You don't hop in a Baptist baptistry. You know, you get excommunicated for that. He's hopping like this, hopping. And I, I'm going, okay, you, you can leave now. His buddy is up here getting ready to be baptized next. He starts to cry, looking at his friend, hopping with joy, and kind of swan dives into the baptistry. His friend catches him, water sloshing the choir, and they're, whoa, they're, they're a swat, they're, they're just high-fiving and whooping and hollering, you know, and I thought, it's all over for me, it's done, you know. I, I, I have sprinkled baptized the choir, this is not, not good, and, uh, but, but, our people, our people knew we, we needed a fresh wind, and, and people started to be more, more open. But, you know, we still had more problems than we had a work of God. And January 22nd, 1995 came, the day that changed my life forever. I, I'm, I'm sure uh, Life Action, the ministry I serve, wouldn't, uh, uh, wouldn't have had any reason to approach me um, it, it, without what happened on January 22nd in the aftermath. Um, but beyond that, I don't, I don't know what would have become of me in ministry without what happened that day. It was a normal day for us, really. I was preaching on the Ten Commandments uh, series. Somebody asked me the other day, which one were you preaching on? And, you know, the sermon must have been so bad, I don't even remember. I can't. I just remember thinking this series is, is, is kind of fallen flat. But I, I preached on one of the Ten Commandments, and I, I finished, and I gave the invitation, and nobody responded. It was an early service. We were a church I don't know, running maybe, uh, maybe 400, something like that. And um, um, I was about to end, and all of a sudden, a student by the name of Chris Robison uh, comes walking down the aisle. Now, I had noticed that our college students were, were there 
at the early service. Our college students didn't come to the early service, okay, ever. <laughs> but they sleep in, but they were there. And I didn't know why. What I didn't know was their hearts had become broken for the need for a move of God on their campus and in our church. And they'd been up, some of them, praying all night long. And God led them to come to both services and pray for our church. So college students were there praying for our church for God to move. And God speaks to Chris Robinson, and he gets up, and he walks down the aisle, and he comes to me. I knew him. He was very steady. I never seen him emotional. And, uh, and, and he said, Pastor John, I think I'm supposed to share with the people. Well, that wasn't in the bulletin anywhere, you know. I did, it wasn't a part of our normal plan. And there are times in your life when the Lord puts something before you, and if you miss it, he'll still love you, but you won't get it back. And I think, oh, God. What if I had missed it? But I said, all right, Chris, I, I feel led to let you do it. And I'm standing down there. He walks up here, and he opens his Bible to Joel chapter 2, and he's trembling. And he says, I think the Lord has a message that I'm supposed to share. Turn to me with all your heart, not with fasting. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Return. To the Lord your God. And he stood there crying. An older woman comes walking down the aisle. He's just crying. It's very quiet. I'm standing there going, what do I do now? This woman comes. She doesn't ask you permission. She comes up on the platform. She comes and puts her arm around him. And she said, this young man is right. What's wrong with us? We, we don't even pray. We're not even a praying church. We need revival. And she began to weep. I've never known how to explain or really even describe well what happened next. But our, our people, like a flood, without any invitation, came flooding to the front. And they began falling on their faces, weeping, crying out to God. It was like a war zone in the front of our worship center. And I'm standing there in the middle of it. And then people began to come up to the microphone and line up. Now, our service is over. We're done. <laughs> and people are lining up. And I'm going, uh, what are we going to do now? <laughs> but it wasn't my choice. They didn't ask permission. And a man came and he said, it's my fault. It's my fault. I complain about everything. You guys know me. I don't know why anybody want to be around me. I've been divisive, fussing. So it's my fault. Forgive me. I'm sorry. He goes and he falls on his knees. Another man says, no, it's, it's me. And man, this is when it got really serious. He starts weeping. He goes, I, I'm, I'm so ashamed. I'm using pornography. I'm so ashamed. And I'm going, oh, my Lord, he just said pornography right there, out loud. He admitted to it. See, I really hadn't done a whole lot of study of, of James where it says confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. Doesn't not practice very much, but it's very biblical. I came up beside him because he was so broken, and I said, man, I don't know what to do. I said, there's other people that feel led to share something. I don't know what's going on, but I said, you know what? This brother needs prayer, and, I, and I, it just came out of my mouth. I said, I, I just feel led to, to ask you not to come Unless as you, the sign of your coming is that you're struggling with sexual temptation too. Because I don't want anybody coming out of pride or ego to help this brother. Um, just only come to pray with him if you're struggling with sexual temptation. And men came from everywhere. We found out 
uh, later that half our deacons were dealing with a pornography addiction. You know, it wasn't really a, a, a surprise that we were in such a mess. Pretty soon we had men grouping up all across the front, praying for one another. We really formed accountability groups right there and didn't even know it. Well, it went on. It went on. And we're in the middle of Sunday school, and nobody knows where the first service crowd is. So some of our people were smart enough and left. I thought, well, I guess they're done. They weren't. They went to the classes and said, we're not having Sunday school today. God has come. And so just forget it. We're, we're, just come on in there with us. And so the Sunday school crowd who would go to the second service, they start coming in. And our, our students were starting to arrive for their Sunday school at the gym across over that direction. And a couple of our students ran across to the gym. And I was told later they ran in and they said, God's come to the sanctuary. God's come to the sanctuary. <laughs> Which makes you wonder where he'd been before that time. And they left the gym, and they all came in mass. All right, My wife was not even there. She comes walking in with, with, with one of our children going, and I'm just going, you know. And, uh, and as people would come in, my wife and so many others, they just fell in together. It was unbroken. We never explained it. We just continued on. What I forgot was we were live on the radio. Our late service was on the radio. And it went through Sunday school hour into the late service. And, and people were weeping, crying over each other, sharing testimonies. And somebody called into the radio station. They were out on a farm with somebody. And he said, uh, we were listening to the church service, but we can't hear any preaching. We just hear people crying. And he said, my, something's happened in my heart listening to it. And, and my buddy just led me to Jesus. Can you tell me what to do next? We got people getting saved at a radio broadcast where nobody's talking. You know, it, it, was, it was a remarkable move of God's spirit. And it went on into the early afternoon. And we finally, we finally ended it. And I didn't, know, I didn't know what to think, what to do. But on the way out, a man named Carol Lancaster came over to me. And he caught me. And he took my hand, and he's weeping, and he said, it happened. It happened. I said, what? And he said, Brother John, 40 years ago, one day, the Lord said to me, you are my prayer warrior, and I'm giving you an assignment. You will roll out of bed every morning onto your knees, and you will pray for God to bring a massive revival to Coggan Avenue Baptist Church, and you will do that every day until I answer. And he said, it's 40 years this year. And it's happening. Wow. I, mean, I went home that afternoon. I didn't know what to do, what to think. I, said, I told everybody, let's come back tonight, see what the Lord does. I went home and I got a phone call from one of the guys in our prayer group, one of the pastors. He said, I got to talk to you about what happened today. His name is Mark Bryan. I said, I, I said you've already heard? He said, heard? Well, I experienced it. And I, I, I said, you, you were here? You were in our church? He said, what are you talking about? I didn't, it's like, who's on first? I, I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, John, he said, it happened. What we've been praying for. He said, I was in our church. We were about to end the service, and something broke like a dam in our church, and people flooded forward, kneeling everywhere. God moved in mighty revival in our church this morning. I said, you're talking about your church? Yeah. Y'all, five churches broke out in revival on the same day. The charismatic pastor was in the middle of his sermon and he stopped. Somebody said later they thought he'd had a stroke. He stood there so long. Just quiet. And he finally stepped away and he said, I can't preach anymore. He said, God just spoke to me. This is the day. This is the day. He's going to revive our churches. This is the day. Pray. Just come. Come on. Let's pray. 
And he never finished his sermon. He just hit his knees and began to pray. And his church breaks out in revival. All on January 22nd, 1995. I came back that night and the place was jammed to overflowing. I mean, they were hanging off the rafters. We were there three hours. We couldn't get people to leave. Somebody said, I I said at the end, I said, yo, I know we got children. I said, we've been here three hours. I'm sorry it's been so long. I just don't know what else to do. And a guy caught me in the way. He was kind of irritated. He says, what is wrong with you? He said, what are we going to do? Go home and watch TV? He said, look, look at what's happening. There was a passion for God. It was more than anything else anybody had ever experienced. And nobody wanted to leave. So we said, well, we'll just keep meeting as God leads us and see what he does. Well, just by chance, Henry Blackaby had been scheduled to come in and do the, uh, the uh, revival, the February revival for Howard Payne University, small college there in Brownwood, Texas. And uh, I didn't know Henry very well. I'd met him. He was a, a, a he had encouraged me once before I came to be pastor there, but I got to go pick him up, and it was just a thrill and a joy. He's still one of my heroes, and um, and I told him, I said, God, man, God's doing something in our church. I mean, I, I don't know if I want to use the R word, but it sure looks like revival, and he talked to me and counseled me, and then we, we went to the student revival, and, and that night it was jammed out with Howard Payne students, and Henry preached, and he finished, and we we're about to end, and a student, I can't say his name to you, um, because um, of what I'll tell you at the end of this sermon. Um, but I'll call him Jay. He comes walking down the aisle, and uh, he comes up on the platform. Henry's standing there, and he's watching this young man. And the young man just said, I- I'm so sorry to interrupt, but you guys know me. You know me, and you think I'm a real fine Christian. He said, I'm a fake. I'm wearing a mask, and I'm taking it off tonight. Never going to put it back on. And he, he laid on his face. Flat down on his face on the platform beside Henry Blackaby. And Henry just stood there. Just let the Lord do what he was going to do. And another student, and another student, and another student. And hours later, if you were there, what you have seen, what you would have seen was the president of the university weeping beside students as they jammed an altar and lined up all the way out the door coming and saying, it's, it's, my, it's me, it's my sin that's made our campus the way it is. It, 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 wasn't, a, it wasn't a revival of, 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 first of all, of the sharing of testimonies, it was a revival of massive repentance. And when we left there that night, I think we all knew, all right, this is real. Something's happening. And then it just exploded in our, in our city. The campus of Howard Payne, you couldn't walk across campus without seeing students kneeling together, praying. And students continued to meet, and God began to pour himself out. And in our church, we, we didn't know what in the world was going on. We, we had just decided on an evangelism plan because we weren't reaching anybody for Jesus. I've got a good plan if you want it. It's in my files. I've never used it after 20-something years. We didn't have time for an evangelism plan because we were baptizing so many people who were coming to Jesus. Revival is the best evangelism plan you'll ever have. When you get right with Jesus, you can't shut up about him. And our people People were telling everybody, and our church doubled. I mean, almost overnight, our baptisms tripled. 
And we, we were just, we could not believe what was happening. And then word began to spread that it was continuing on in Howard Payne. I was asked to go and to speak at Southwestern Seminary, my, my alma mater. I'm going, you got to be kidding me. I, I'm just a small town pastor. And, and I, I, I went and the president there, Ken Hemphill, incredible, incredible brother. There was a lot of political stuff going on and we talked and we agreed not even to give an invitation. We didn't want to be accused of manipulating something and we knew that some of the folks that were a little more liberal in their thinking would, didn't like revival and would accuse us that they would have accused, of, accused us of that. So I told the story much as I'm telling it to you tonight. It was still just the beginning of the story, but I told what had happened and then I went to sit down. I, I went back like this. I couldn't get to my seat before a young woman on this side shouted out, Oh God! Oh God, don't leave us! Oh God, revive us! Please, send your fire! Send your fire! Oh God! And students just started just started swarming forward and seven hours later we were still there in a seminary chapel all the classes were canceled some people flew in from out of town to be there when they heard about it it was Wednesday night or I'm sure it would have gone on all night as it did in other places but we said don't go to your churches go to the churches of Fort Worth and spread the word this is before the day of the internet y'all and it began to spread like wildfire and suddenly our office became like like a travel agency, people were calling and saying, we've heard what's happening in your church. Can we come watch? And we'd say, well, it's not a circus. We're, we're going to have a worship service, and we don't know what will happen, but you're welcome to come. And people would come, and they'd just fall in with us, and they would weep, and they would cry. We had people come from Norway and Japan and, and states all over the country. And, and again, we're not doing any. This is before the day of Internet. We're just, we're, just, we're just serving the Lord in a dusty town in West Central Texas. But God did it. And, and, and then they, people start saying, please, send somebody to tell us. And our church allowed me to go everywhere that I could, but I was a pastor. I couldn't go everywhere. I couldn't go to most places. So we got students, and we said, look, we're going to send you. And now you're not a preacher. Just tell the story. That's all. Just, just tell what God has done. Read, read what Scripture he's placed on your heart. Keep it grounded in the Word. Tell the story of what God has done, and sit down, and then come back home. That's it. If God wants to do something, he will do it. And y'all, revival broke out everywhere these students went. We had to start sending lay people. Our fire chief became a missionary. He, he, just le he left and became a missionary. Our police chief, who died this year, he, he was out sharing. Our people were just, they travel and share everywhere. And one day my phone rang, and my secretary says, it, uh, it's Bill Bright. And I, I said, it's Bill Bright? Bill Bright? The Bill Bright? The Campus Crusade, one of my all-time heroes? I didn't know Bill Bright. I said, this is probably, I did know Dennis Swanberg. You know him? I said, this is probably Swan trying to make me think Bill Bright's calling me because he'll do that to you. He's an impressionist, you know. And I answered the phone. It really was Bill Bright. And uh, he, he, said, uh, he said, Pastor, um, I, I wanted to talk to you because we've been researching what's happening around our country. He said, I wanted you to know that a couple of weeks before this revival, and he said, and that's what it is, broke out in your church. A group of us gathered in Orlando in December of 1994. We gathered in Orlando. People like Adrian Rogers were there, and just key leaders from all over the country were there. He said, and we cried out to God, and God spoke to us and said that in 1995, God was going to bring revival to college campuses in America. And he said, Pastor, I want you to know that as I speak to you, there are over 100 campuses and all-out revival right now. In our community, we tried to join God in all that he was doing. We had a terrible racial divide. Seems like we still kind of got that going on, don't we? 
Wouldn't it be something to see God use the church to break those things instead of trying to wait for the government to do it? Oh, we had this terrible racial divide in our city. And we thought, could God even do that? Could God even break that? And so we just tried it. We just said, you know what? We're going to ask black, white, Hispanic. We were all in our separate places. We're just going to ask us to come together. And we started worshiping together. We'd come together on Sunday nights, just worship together. And God began to do things like we've never seen before. He began to shatter those barriers. One of my African-American pastor friends named Aaron, I asked him, I said, what's the difference now than before the revival? He said, before the revival, if I was walking on um, one side of the street and, uh, and a white Christian was walking, coming at me like that, he'd cross the road to get to the other side and not have to talk to me. He's afraid of me, maybe. I don't know. He said, now, if I'm walking this way and a white brother is walking on the other side of the street, we'll fight to cross the street to see who can get to each other to give him a hug. He said, God has broken our barriers. So we finally said, Lord, you know what? It's time for us to take this to the streets. And so we gathered our churches together and we said, let's see what we could do in a week if we made it our goal to share Jesus with everybody. And in that week's time, more people were saved in Brownwood, Texas than all the churches in the city had led to Jesus in the previous 10 years. And that is just the beginning of a story that changed my life, that changed our church, that spread across America, and then changed the mission field. Because a study was done a few years later of why all of a sudden we had this massive leap in the numbers of people who were saying, send me to the hardest places. I want to be a missionary. I'll lay down everything for the sake of the gospel. And they were young. And when they did the research, a mission magazine researched it and found out, oh, these are the revived students who are now finished college and seminary and they're now adults. And the mission movement now that... Part of the reason behind the greatest revival now in the history of the world, I believe, the revival taking place in the Middle East, is because in a, in a dusty town in west central Texas, with a pastor ready to give up, God came and people drew a circle around themselves and he moved, starting with just one student and then another and then another. And today, many of the people whose salaries you pay on the other side of the world are those students. You know how we know that? I'm not trying to, to pitch a book here, but we did a 25, a 20-year book on what's happened since then called Revival Revived. And we shared, it again, the whole story, the journal accounts from the students, but then we traced where many of these are, and we couldn't believe one after another, one after another, one after another, serving the Lord in some of the hardest places on the face of the earth. Maybe this is your night. I don't know, as I said last night, when and who and how God's going to move again in power, but I do know why. For His glory, for His people's good, and for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Maybe this is your night. Maybe this is the night you'll draw a circle around yourself. And if you have to stay here all night, you're not leaving until God gives you new life. And if he does, it's only one way it's going to happen. I'll tell you this, and we'll respond, and we're done. There's only one way it's going to happen. 
That student who laid on his face, Howard Payne University, his name is not Jay, but I think that's what we call him in the book too, if you're reading Revival Revived and you see the name Jay. This is who we're talking about. Jay called me one day, years after the revival, and he said, we're on our way to Richmond. He wasn't even a Baptist. He was a Methodist. He said, no, we, we've converted, and we're on our way to Richmond, and we're headed overseas. And that's where he still is to this day. Jay takes his children into the most dangerous places on the face of this earth. You say, what kind of parent would do that? A parent that loves Jesus more than anything. His young children. You know why he does that, by the way? He said, oh, when you're in a place like, you can fill in the blank, I I can't. When you're in a place like this country, if people see uh, an American, see somebody with our, that looks like us, they figure we're a, we're, a, we're a missionary or we're CIA. But if they see you walking around with your children, they just think you're crazy to be there, but you can't be a missionary or a CIA. You know, if you're going to bring your children, you'd have to protect your children, right? So that's why we bring our children to these places with us. You pay Jay's salary, and God is using Jay to change the world. Less than two months ago, we were there in the Middle East with Jay, and his family. We love them like our own family. And um, Jay told us one morning, our last morning with him, he said, man, God put Krishna on my heart today, a young man named Krishna. He's a Hindu man living in a Muslim country. That'd be tough, don't you think? And he said, uh, we've been sharing with him eight years, and I woke up this morning with him on my heart. I wish we had time to share with him, but I don't even know what he's doing today, and this is God's last day. About an hour later, Jay goes, uh, stay here, I'm going to go out and let Krishna in. I said, what? He said, he's at our gate. I said, did you call him? No. We just prayed, and he's at our gate. He comes in. We introduce ourselves, speaks perfect English. We start talking. We start sharing, talking about Jesus. And in the midst of this conversation... We began to sense this deep, dark, spiritual battle going on right before us. The Muslim call to prayer was going off. We could hear it over and over. They usually only do it once, but we could hear it. They kept doing it. We're going, what is going on? And then his phone was ringing, ringing, ringing. Finally, he answered it, and he, and he started talking. He said, I, I'm not doing this. And he, and he put it down, and it kept ringing and ringing. And my wife and I, we knew we were, we were in battle for a man's soul. And we're going back and forth, and, and Jay is sharing, and I'm sharing. We're sharing back and forth. And finally, Jay said, you know what? I believe. He said, I believe the things you told me about Jesus. He said, I believe. He said, I've known you guys for eight years. You've loved me like nobody else. I've never known anybody like you. I believe. And I thought, glory to God, this guy's about to be saved. But Jay, the missionary, said, yes, but Krishna... I know you well, and I've been in your house, and your house is full of idols. You say you believe in Jesus, that's great, but it's Jesus only. Are you ready for that? He said, no, no, the the idols are a part of our family history. And we went right back into it, and we're sharing Jesus versus idols. And at one point, Jay stood up. He stood up, and I saw, saw fire in the eyes of this missionary who I've known for so long. And he took a chair and he placed it right here like this. And he said, Krishna, here's what you're doing. He said, you came here today. The reason he'd come is because he was sick. 
He said, you've come here today, and he said, you, 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 you want us to pray for you to get well. He said, so you, you take a medicine bottle, and you, you, you put it, you put it in, this, in this, this chair. He said, I'm going to call this the Jesus chair. And he said, and then you want Jesus to bless your finances. You believe in him. You want to bless your finances. You put your car keys in that, in that chair, and you put all of the things of your life in this, in this chair. But the, the problem is, the only hope for you is for you to sit in that chair. And he said, for you to do that, you've got to be willing to get rid of your idols. He said, Krishna, I've been in your home. I've watched your wife dust off your idols. Nobody needs a God you have to dust off. He said, so I ask you, Krishna, will you trade in your dusty idols for the one true God? And Krishna was sitting over here on a sofa, and he stood up. And he walked over here. And he said, I want to sit in the Jesus chair. And we gathered around him. And we prayed over him. And Jesus came into his life and he became our brother in Christ. This is what Jesus does. When we draw that circle around ourselves and say, I'm going to sit in this Jesus chair. I'm going to sit in this Jesus chair until the Lord comes in power in my life. I'm not going anywhere until then. Would you stand up? And I'd just like to ask some music to play. Uh, we're not going to sing right now. We're just going to have music playing. And we're going to do something very unusual. Um, if the Lord speaks to you, and like Krishna, you've never met Jesus tonight, then I want you to come forward and I want you to come and pray with Pastor Keith, Pastor Dave. I want you to come if that's what needs to happen in your life. If you know you've got to talk to somebody tonight, you've got to, then you come. Otherwise, I want to ask you to do something different tonight. I want to ask you to consider the place right beneath you, your own Jesus chair. And rather than coming forward, I'm going to ask you to sit down, but not yet. Not yet. In the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing or revival may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you need revival tonight? Because your heart is so sad? Or your soul is dry. Or your sin is strong. Do you need revival tonight? Close your eyes. Bow your heads. Seek Him right now. Repent. All the word repent means is turn. It just means turn. It doesn't even necessarily mean you're caught up in some horrific sin. You may just need to turn from a path of perpetual sadness that you've been wallowing in in your own strength. Turn, turn, and He will come and refresh you and revive you. Would you tell Him tonight, right where you are, I want that, Lord. I want your revival. And when you're ready to say, Lord, take everything, all my idols, everything I cling to in place of you, take it. I want to sit in the Jesus chair 
I want all of me in that Jesus chair. When you're ready and the Lord speaks to you, sit down. And as you sit down, you pray. And you say, Lord, I'm going to sit in this Jesus chair for the next few minutes. And then I'm going to get up from here. And I'm going to go in revival. I'm going to go in new life. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to share you with others. Because that's what revived people do. Just take a moment. You pray. You need to come one of the pastors. You come. Otherwise, as God leads you, when you're ready, not until you take a seat in the Jesus chair, your own Jesus chair right there. Hear his voice. Do what he says. Search our hearts, Lord. Your people are crying out to you. Decisions are being made to turn from sin, to turn from sadness, to turn from complacency. Hear the cries of your people, men and women and young people, crying out to you now. Let them know, Lord, that you'll sit with them. They can sit in your lap on the Jesus chair. They don't have to take that seat right now in their strength and power. But they sit in surrender. Do your work, Lord. Do your work. I'll give you a few more moments to hear from the Lord. Take your seat in the Jesus chair. I'm all yours, Lord. All yours. choosing the Jesus chair would you wash over them Lord with hope healing comfort power 
I pray right now, Lord, you would break the power of darkness in this place in every heart. Father, for some man, some woman right now that's thinking, I, I just can't. I can't do it. Yes, that's right. Move, Lord, in that man's heart, in that woman's heart, that he and she will know that you can, you can, you can, and you will. Break the overwhelming power, Lord, of grief in someone's heart, Lord. Lord, someone's angry. They don't understand why their spouse, why their child, why their friend. I don't know. I know you, though, Lord. I know you. And I know you hung there for us and said, why? Why have you forsaken me? And the answer is so we would never be forsaken. He was. We're not. You're here. Break the power of sadness that keeps anybody here from new life. Break the grip of complacency, God. The business as usual routine. Break it in us by your power. Oh, Jesus. Just one more moment. Would everyone stand with me now? There are many people who have taken a seat in the Jesus chair and there's those others I know that I just have so much respect for that are just battling, just struggling. That's not necessarily a bad place to be. And if that's you, thank you that you allowed the Lord to be with you here today. But you're being honest with Him. Lord, I want to pray right now that you would take everyone here, Lord, who took a seat in their own Jesus chair, Lord, that they would leave here tonight in the new life you have given, and Lord, that you would multiply it many times over. And Father, I, I pray that for men and women and young people who, who weren't quite ready to do that, Lord, I pray that perhaps in the middle of the night, you will awaken someone here tonight and say, this is the moment, this is the time, and bring the reviving power of your Spirit right there where they are, right there tonight. Lord, we love you. Thank you for what you're doing. We trust you. We can't wait to see what's next, Lord. Because you're moving tonight. And you never move. And then leave us as we were. And so we will leave here different. And ready for what you're going to do tomorrow. And for how you're going to change the world. Through the Jesus chairs we've sat in tonight. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight. I'm going to turn it over to the pastors. But let me say, tomorrow night, uh, I, I promise you, for one thing, I'll be shorter tomorrow night. This is a hard story to tell short. But tomorrow night, I, I, want, I want to leave you tomorrow with what to do next. What, what is the Lord looking for next with us? And he's laid a message on my heart. I can't wait to share it. And I hope you'll be back tomorrow night. God bless you guys, pastors.